Welcome to another Sunday morning sermon from Marysville Christian Church. We're glad you're here joining us on this journey to learn more, love more, and look more like Jesus. We invite you to grab a cup of coffee and a Bible as we dive into God's Word. The better we know God, the more we trust Him. No matter what happens, no matter what the events of the day are, our trust is dependent upon our understanding of who He is and what He's all about. Now, if you've got a warped or distorted view of God, then the result of that is it limits your confidence to live by faith every day. If you've got a warped or distorted view of God, it limits your courage to live by faith every day. And we know when that happens, people form some misconceptions. And it affects the choices we make, the actions that we follow up with, and the relationships that we have. Now, it's not uncommon then. It's not uncommon for people in New York or Los Angeles to make some assumptions about people that happen to have a southern accent. As though somehow it's just automatic that if you have a southern accent, there's something wrong with you. Jeff Foxworthy, of all people, captures it in this video. It's great to be in Jackson. See, I don't even have to enunciate tonight. Because in a lot of parts of the country, you know, people hear me talk, they automatically want to deduct 100 IQ points. Because apparently the southern accent's not the world's most intelligent sounding accent. You know, and to be honest, I mean, none of us would want to hear our brain surgeon say, all right, now what we're going to do is <laughs> saw the top of your head off Root around in there with a stick and see if we can't find that dead burn clot. Be like, no thanks, I'll just die, okay? <laughs> see, that's why Southern financial advisors have such a tough time. Nobody wants to give their money to somebody that talks this way. <laughs> well, the key is you got to diversify with your money. What we'll do, we'll take half of it, put it in a big mayonnaise jar, bury it out in your backyard. The other half we'll take down to the dog track and bet on the one that does his business right for the race star. Like I said, if you have some misconceptions about people based on false information, it's gonna affect the choices you make. For example, if dad was not necessarily somebody to celebrate, maybe because you didn't even know him, or because you wish you wouldn't have ever met him, it can affect your understanding about God. And you get the idea that dad's either aloof or just doesn't want to be bothered with us, or every time we would pray, we're met with kind of this response from God. Or if mom happened to be a rather micromanaging, manipulative mother. We can get the idea that God's love can be conditional. Or if the relationship that you had with your, with your brothers and sisters or your family, your aunts and uncles, if it was less than stellar, then you probably end up with trust issues, especially when it comes to the family of God. But here's the impact of all of that. 
a distorted view of God warps our trust and it can twist our prayers. Prayer is not telling a reluctant God what we want him to do and how we want him to do it and when we want him to do it. That's not what inner peace comes from. Inner peace comes from trusting who God is. And because we trust who he is, then we trust what he's done for us and is doing in us and around us now and has promised to do for us in the future. So that's why living and walking by faith every day, 24 7, 365, depends on us being convinced of one thing. We know and are convinced you can always count on God. But how do you get there? I mean, is it even possible for normal, everyday, average people to know God or to, to get to the point where they can feel like they can count on Him and trust Him? Especially when we feel overwhelmed by life and people and the demands that they make on us, kind of like the video of the mom. And when that happens, again, we're tempted to blame God. But here's the good news. God has proven he can be trusted. Let me summarize that first part of Ephesians 1 that we looked at last week. In verses 4 through 6 of Ephesians 1, he there reminds us that we need to praise God, our Father, because he chose us. He adopted us voluntarily and willingly in Christ, giving us his grace. And that's what we all want from a dad. We want our dad to cut some slack. And realize it takes time to grow to the point where we see things like he does. In verses 7 through 12 of Ephesians 1, the praise is there not just for God the Father, but for God the Son who redeemed us. He forgives us when we aren't perfect. And he even did so when it cost him his own blood. And that was just as he planned. In verse 13 and 14 of Ephesians 1, it's not just praise for God the Father or praise for the Son, but it's actually even praise for the Spirit of God. So you've got that Trinity thing going on, that triune God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Because it's the Spirit who authenticates. He validates what he has done in the past, what he is doing right now today, and what he promised to do for us yet to come. That's why in verse 15 of Ephesians 1, he says, for this reason. Because what he knows God has done for them. He says, when, when I heard the, the truth about you, of how you believed the truth in Christ. You were sealed. You were stamped. You were authenticated with the Holy Spirit. And because of what he knows God is doing in them and through them, he says, I know you trust the Lord. And I know you love his people. Which sounds an awfully lot like the two most important things that Jesus identified. Love God and love others. That's why he says in verse 16 of Ephesians 1, I have not stopped giving thanks for you knuckleheads. <laughs> okay, I added that. 
But it's because of forgiveness. It's because he didn't just leave us on our own to figure it out. It's because of what he has done, is doing, and will do. He says, I've not stopped giving thanks for you. I keep remembering you in my prayers. Why? Because he knows everything's going to be okay. Not necessarily because he knows they're going to figure it out, but because he knows that God has proven he can be trusted even when life gets overwhelming. So for us to live and walk by faith, for us to live our lives trusting the Lord and loving people every day, 24-7, 365, or at least bringing ourselves back to head in that direction when we get off course, sometimes that can be a lot. And that's why he says in verse 17 of Ephesians 1, I pray God may give you a spirit of wisdom and understanding so that you may know him better. Now, honestly, there's a lot of times when I would rather have that verse said, hey, how about if you just pray that I can figure this out? How about if you just pray that I can work this out? But that's not what his prayer is. His prayer is, I want you to know God better. Why? Because the better we know God, the greater our willingness is to do life his way. And when we do life his way, we honor him in any situation every single day. Otherwise, we tend to limit God to only what makes sense to us. Our own logic. Our own reason. And it's nothing different than what Jesus encountered. Even on the cross, as John spoke about, what was the reaction of people? Well, they tried to make sense of it on their own. If you're really the Christ, come down off that cross. Makes sense, right? He saved others. Can he save himself? Makes sense. Because if he can't save himself, how can I count on him to save me? Why would God allow pain and suffering? Here's the problem, though. God is different than we are. And when God doesn't make sense to us, we lose the will to trust him and live life the way he tells us to live. When God doesn't make sense, we don't know that we can trust his wisdom when people wear us out. Now, remember... That's why God revealed himself in Jesus. John 1, the word, was, the word was with God, the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Hebrews 1, verse 3, Jesus is the exact image of God, the exact representation of his nature. And that's why Jesus baffled so many people. It didn't make sense. I mean... God likes what I like, right? God will do, the th- do things the way I want, right? God will answer my prayer when I want him to, right? I mean, that was essentially what was illustrated in John 9 when the disciples encountered a man who had been born blind and they just tried to tie up the loose ends by asking Jesus, well, this guy's clearly got a problem. Who sinned? Him? Or his parents. You see, there had to be cause and effect in their mind. 
just like us. When disaster strikes, we have to figure out why to be okay with it. We'll call it natural disasters or we'll call it an act of God. We'll try to make sense that if God's in control and this out of control thing happened, what's God doing? And then if anything good happens, well, it's because of clearly I knew what I was doing. But when anything bad happens, Clearly, God must be punishing me. But here's the reality check. Not only is God different than we are, we don't get to decide who God is. That's the reason for Paul's prayer. When we're just living life, trying to trust God and love others, it can be overwhelming because things don't make sense. People don't make sense. I don't make sense. Why'd you do that? I don't know. And that's typically when we start to reevaluate who God is and why our life is the way that it is. Whose fault is it? There has to be somebody to blame. Did I do something wrong and, and tip the scales and now God's got it in for me? Why would you count on somebody if you thought they were working against you behind your back? You don't do that at work. You don't do that with family. Why would you do that with God? And yet that's how people see God when they get overwhelmed by people and overwhelmed by, the, by God. God bailed on me when it got tough. How can I trust him? And these are the kind of questions that start to affect our prayers then and our trust issues when it comes to God. Especially when he asked me through his word to live my life in a way that doesn't make sense to me. If I can't trust God, then why bother living life by his rules? And if I can't count on God to reward me for putting up with others, why bother loving them like God loved me? See, these same questions also affect our willingness to live and love like God every day. Not just on Sunday celebration days, but 24-7, 365. Maybe we ought to reconsider a different approach and ask different questions about God and about life. Like, what if all evil and suffering doesn't come from God? We assume it does. We blame God because he got caught napping. But what if we need to accept responsibility for our own choices that grew out of our own self-centeredness and selfishness? What if we're responsible for the heartache and the tears and the reaction of others because of our sin that we committed against them? Years ago, it was one of those light bulb moments for Claudia and I when we went to a marriage seminar. And about two-thirds of the way through the seminar, when we were struggling to stay awake after lunch, the guy got our attention with a topic of that particular session, which was entitled, The Trouble With Us Is Me. That's not what I wanted to hear. Because I had my own conclusions about who was causing the trouble with us, and it wasn't me. 
But then as he went on to explain what he meant by that, I apologized to God and to Claudia and everybody else that I could think of because I realized I may not be able to fix them, but I can fix me. And that's where I need to start. When God created everything, how was it described? It was good. It was even called paradise. What if God gave us control as the dominant force in our own life? What would be the impact if we gave that kind of power over, the, to, over to the personification of evil referred to as Satan? The results aren't the twisted plan of a sick God. The results aren't the, the laziness of God. Instead, the consequences of the choices that we made would clearly be our own. And who would blame God at that moment if he decided, I'm done? I mean, we've already got evidence of that once. It was called the flood, right? What if God decided to just walk away and blow it all up? But see, it comes back to deciding who God is because instead of walking away or blowing us all up, while we were yet sinners, Scripture says, God chose to intervene. While I was still in a point of denial, arguing, and rebelling, God chose to redeem us. And that's why we celebrate the Lord's Supper, communion, on a regular basis to remind us of just that. That's the reason for our hope. He didn't wait for me to figure it out. He didn't wait for me to bring my life into alignment with his will. While I was still missing the mark. God loved me. Because that's who he is. That's how much he loves. And we are the recipients of the love of that kind of God. That's why we worship and serve a good God every single day. Knowing God better will change what I think of him, and knowing God better will change what I think of his will for my life. Even when the Bible gets personal and starts talking about my attitude, like I'm the problem with us. Even when the Bible gets personal and starts talking about the way that I talk about others, tearing them down instead of building them up even when the Bible gets really personal and talks about my bedroom and my morals and my sin. And it certainly changes my willingness to show that trust in Him in my prayers, praying with gratitude instead of praying, begging for God to save me from the consequences of my own choices. So much so that whenever evil does come my way, I learn 
I hope to learn. I hope to get better at thanking him, not for the evil, but thanking him for giving me the strength that I need to get through this no matter what. No wonder Satan has always tried to convince us that we should believe his lies about God. You can't trust him. He's got a mean streak. Oh yeah, he'll pretend to be your friend and then all of a sudden he'll pull the rug right up from underneath you if you don't do everything his way. That's why Paul prays that they'll learn to praise God every single day. Remember what he said in verses 4 through 6? He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he's freely given us in the one that he loves. That's why he praises the son of God who redeemed us in these terms. In him, Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins. That's in accordance with the riches of God's grace, which he lavished on us and with, with all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times have reached their fulfillment and to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. that's why we learn to praise God for the work that his spirit does in our life. He says in verse 17, I keep asking that the God of, the Lord, of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you will know him better. It does not say, I keep asking God to give you his spirit so you'll get your act together. It's not what it says. Instead, he goes deeper than that, deeper than our performance, deeper than our behavior. He goes to the matter of our heart. He wants us to allow the Spirit of God within us to know so well what God wants and who God is and how much he loves us that we'll be compelled by the Spirit squeezing our conscience, squeezing our heart, that we won't be left any choice but to maintain a good conscience by living like one who loves us, calls us to. That's why Paul prays what he does in verse 18. That their hearts will be enlightened, their minds will be opened to see his light and have a greater understanding. <laughs> why would he think that light would help us? Look, look at what it says in chapter 4 of Ephesians in verse 18. He describes people that are wandering away from God this way. He says, their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they've closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. And we think, yeah, look at those scum. Well, maybe, just maybe, I need to remember that the problem with us, me and God, is, is me. And maybe I need to read that passage and make it personal. And if you do, then it reads like this. My mind was full of darkness. And I wandered far 
for the life that God gives. Because I closed my mind and I hardened my heart against him. Sounds like maybe the problem with us is me. Once we realize we worship and serve a good God every day, 24, 7, 365, even when we start to get overwhelmed by, by the kids, by the guy who's the cause of our problems, by myself and my inability to consistently do a better job of loving like he loved me, even when we start to get overwhelmed by the circumstances and people in our life, we worship and serve a good God because he gives us hope despite our past. So we thank God. We worship and serve God because we understand the wealth of our inheritance that he gives us, and that brings us peace and security about our future. We worship and serve a God because we understand the greatness of his power that's available for us as believers, giving us strength to hold up under the present duress and chaos. And that's why he prays that their trust in God will grow as they realize he's at work in their life every single day. That's why it says in Ephesians 1, verse 19 and 20, I also pray that you'll understand the incredible greatness of God's power. For, for, for us, not just for the church, not just for Ed, because we all know he needs as much God's help as he can get, but, but for, for us who believe him. Do you believe the greatness of God's power is available to you? It's the same power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand. That power to live by faith, trusting God every day, 24-7, 365, is the same power that did for Jesus what he was not able to do on his own. He was dead. And God restored his life. He repeats that same thought again so we don't miss it or forget it in Ephesians 3, verse 20, with God's power working in us. He can do infinitely more than anything we can ask or imagine. Hmm. I guess that kind of shuts down my excuse is, well, the spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. I'd be like saying, well, God wanted to raise Jesus from the dead, but he just couldn't do it. The better we know God, the more we trust him every day. David, why don't you the praise team join me up on stage. Let me read you what it says in Ephesians 1, verse 21, 22, and 23, because here's the point that he makes about the power of God and the reason why we trust God. 
and live our life like he says. Live our morals like he says. Overcome our weakness like he says. In verse 21, he says, Now he is far above any ruler, authority, power, leader, anything else. Not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. If your mama ever said, because I said so, that belongs to Jesus. Why should I live my life your way? Why should I do this? Why should I stop doing that? Why should I watch my attitude? Why should I listen to how I relate to others? Because I said so, Ed. That's Jesus. He is the head of the church. And it's for the benefit of the church. That the church is his body. And is made full and complete by Christ. Who fills all things everywhere within himself including us so here's what becomes clear God can be trusted you can count on God to handle anything in your life you can count on God to handle anyone in your life even when you can't he working in you can and he proved that by giving Jesus his life back and exalting him to a position of honor right by his side. He wants to give us our life back as well. And he wants to all exalt us to a position of honor as well, just like he did Jesus. That's the kind of God that we need to get to know. That's the kind of God that convinces me I can trust him. And that's the kind of God that every day, 24-7, 365, we're called to live for, worship, and serve. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you'd like to learn more about Marysville Christian Church and connect with us, be sure to go to our website, marysvillechristian.org. If you are near the Marysville area, we would love to have you join us on Sunday morning. We have our Bible study classes at 9 a.m. and our regular worship service is at 10 a.m. Our address is 17,000 Waldo Road, Marysville, Ohio 43040. Our phone number is 937-642-9838. Email is office at marysvillechristian.org.